calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Bitches on Comics. I'm S.E. Fleenor. And if I had to choose one color, it would be green. <laughs> if I had to choose a color, I would choose rainbow. <laughs> okay, today we have a question from Quinn, who is a Patreon of Bitches on Comics. Hi, Quinn. Hi, Quinn. You're the best. We appreciate you. Quinn is relatively new to comics and started reading Supergirl Rebirth consistently after watching the Supergirl TV show. Woo, woo, woo. That being said, I am very interested in branching out to reading more female characters, but I am often discouraged by the over-sexualization and super male gaze that both the writing and art sometimes depict. Uh, here, here. We <laughs> feel you on that. Quinn says, I'd love to read more about Wonder Woman, Zatanna, Batgirl, Captain Marvel, and Black Widow. Basically any female heroes or anti-heroes. I've had the most success with seeking out female creative teams behind the comics, but I really appreciate any advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Sarah's advice. Mm-hmm. I got it. This is a good question. Great question. Thank you so much, Quinn. We really appreciate you writing in and giving us like something meaty to sink our teeth into. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it just makes me crack up because I'm just thinking of all of my terrible experiences. Whenever I first started getting into comics, I also got into Supergirl. Whenever they first started her, I think in the 1996, they mm-hmm. started a Supergirl series. At that time, she was penciled by Gary Frank. So it's not super duper male gazy. There is that aspect, I think, to like almost all art of that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not nearly what it later becomes. So sure. I dropped Supergirl once 
it kind of started being like Michael Turner covers and just that super hypersexualized, incredibly long torso. Yeah, like what the hell does he think exists between like her ribs and her hips? Like, right. you know, 14 miles? Right. Like, and yeah, she's like a teenager in that comic and it's super sexualized. And so once that kind of started happening, I didn't really want to read Supergirl <laughs> anymore. Yeah, and for that's sure. sad because I am the exact demographic who should be reading Supergirl. And does read Supergirl. (laughs) Like, that was, like, one of the only comics I could read whenever I was... That had a female protagonist. Because in the 90s, there weren't that many. Yeah. I mean, there were, but they didn't have their own series. So she kind of went from being that really important character to me being kind of like, I don't want to read it anymore. And it makes me feel weird. It kind of sucks for them to draw her like that, I guess. So I get that the art does play that big of a role and that it can completely turn you off of a character. You know, it makes me think of and you and I, this was actually how one of the ways we became friends. I was reading a comic and I found this panel of Psylocke that was just like <laughs> so distorted. Mm-hmm. And it was like exorcist distorted. Like her head had to be rotating off her neck yeah. for her face and also her torso. Right. But like her shoulders were forward, but her boobs were kind of showing. And she was looking back and her ass was like there. But then her hips <laughs> were like totally splayed out and yeah. like displaced. And I was like, she is broken. All those bones are broken. Yeah, her face was looking back, but her ass was also looking back. They call that the broke back position a lot because that's what it looks like. It's kind of unsettling to yeah. look at sometimes. Um, not, the, not like broke back mountain, not the good broke back. Yeah. The but bad like, broke back. Like artists drawing anti-anatomy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anti-anatomy. Weird anatomy that wouldn't even work for a Barbie doll, I guess. It's just very strange. But it happened to a lot of characters, definitely. Almost all women characters have been drawn like that at some point or another. Psylocke is a great character. Now she is back in Betsy Braddock's body, and she has kind of a full suit of armor kind of that she wears. So that's kind of nice. But for years. (laughs) Yeah. For years, it was like that for her. And I want to say that, you know, women can wear whatever they want yeah, and things, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. That's not really the issue. The issue is definitely the fact that it's just artists not being able to draw a sexy woman unless she's in this weird contorted position. Totally, <laughs> like, totally. Because we we are big fans of Vampirella. Yes. You know, the pod loves Vampirella. And there are plenty of depictions of her in her uniform that are not distorted body. Yeah. And, and there are depictions that are. That are. And, yeah. and I don't know about you, but like when I look at those, I viscerally feel something different. Yeah. Where I'm like, this is a slab of meat to be consumed. Right. And this is like a human living a life. Well, sorry. She's a Draculonian. So obviously we are not prudes about what you wear or judge women. We were like, express who you are. But, but it's, it's a not distortion their of their it's body. It's men exactly. who are making that choice. And so they could definitely be a little bit more tactful, I'd say, about it. And just maybe understand that a lot of women, not all women, there's like a lot of women who will come out and be very vocal about their support for artists like J. Scott Campbell or Frank Cho or whatever. And, uh, you know, great. (laughs) (laughs) That is your own journey. And you have to live with yourself. Good luck. Have fun. Yes. Um, But... Most women do not because it is hypersexualized, which is different from being sexualized. Yes. And or like from having their sexuality be embraced or treated yeah. like it's a source of power. Right. Like sexy characters are not a problem. Sexualized characters are. Right. I believe that 
one of the images that was sent was from Crisis on Infinite Earths. So a lot of these images, it's like that's one of her most important stories is you put, as I believe you pointed out. Yeah, Quinn points that out for sure. Yeah, so I think that there's just something really important about keeping that in mind, that even in like the best stories, a lot of times you're going to end up with... And sometimes it's like the actual content is great Mm -hmm. and it's the cover. Right. And the cover is horrifying. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't have to live in such a way that we just edit those things out. But I think you and I have, Sarah, have both made the decision that we just do. Mm -hmm. And we find ways to love our favorite characters even when we're like, well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to count that appearance (laughs) as canon because clearly it was written by someone who did not get the character and or was a sexist, racist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ass bag. Yeah. Or jerk. Jerk is nice. So what are some Supergirl stories that you like? Because I love Supergirl. I'm not Supergirl. a Supergirl reader. Okay. I, I think for the very reasons that we just discussed, I just mm-hmm. never got into I like the TV show, but I also don't keep up on that either because, I don't know, just Supergirl is not quite my hero. I love Supergirl pretty much through her whole time period. I love her. You love the movie too, the 1984 movie? Oh God, yes. That was one of the first superhero films I ever saw. I love that movie. And So Quinn, if you haven't seen that, definitely make sure you watch it. It's goofy and there's, you know, a lot of emphasis on Kara being really pretty and <laughs> all of that. I don't know. It's still kind of sexist, but I saw it whenever I was a kid. So it's aged really well for me. And Faye Dunaway plays a witch named Selena and she's really cool. perfect I don't know I liked it I would recommend it and I hear that from a lot of Supergirl fans a lot really like that movie I think so so there's the Peter David series Peter David is a questionable figure but he (laughs) wrote a good Supergirl series it kind of goes on forever it goes on for about a hundred issues or something and you know that could have been passed on to a woman at any time at any juncture (laughs) it's pretty much after issue 30 or whatever you're kind of like oh are you still on this book okay got it great taking a break from x factor and your other 500 gigs right little supergirl over here but it does start really good and it has a little bit less of that kind of objectified art like she is different in that and very much in control and fights Despero, fights all of these really threatening characters, fights the female Furies, which is oh, so the female good. Female Furies are like among my, they might be my favorite DC characters. They're so good. They're so terrifying. Yeah. So Sterling Gates, he wrote Supergirl right before New 52. And that whole era was really good too. That's whenever Superwoman comes in and, it's just really fun. There's one that's called Being Super, a miniseries that is written by a woman. There's just a few. You kind of have to do the thing, though, where you're, what's a woman that wrote this? Oh, yeah. cool. That is a good story. <laughs> yeah. I feel that way. You know what I was realizing? The only Supergirl that I've really read, and this is like a, a cheat because it's like the best, most fun title, and it's like, yay, is Bombshells. Yeah. And so I think that if you haven't read Bombshells and you're looking for empowering representations of women— that is such a beautiful run. And there's two runs. There's Bombshells and then Bombshells United. And I think they're both written by Marguerite Bennett. Mm-hmm. And they're just delightful. Because that was also one I was going to recommend when we talk about Wonder Woman. Like, I love that depiction of Wonder Woman. I think she is yeah. so, like, sweet and powerful and just, like, who I picture Wonder Woman to be in my heart. You know? And I'm like, who's Wonder Woman? I'm like, Bombshells. Yeah, I also want to say that Adventures in the 8th Grade, Supergirl Adventures in the 8th Grade, which is a, you know, young adult, really fun, cute little romp. 
I love it. Mm-hmm. That's adorable. Yeah, I love Supergirl. I think that she's really fun, but you're right. Some of the issues are, you know, they tried really hard to grim and gritty Supergirl and all of that and give her an incredibly long torso. And that whole era doesn't really work <laughs> at all. Yeah. So please beware. That's like pretty easy to avoid, though. It's only, It only runs for about 40 issues. So what do you think about Black Widow? I like Black Widow in a lot of the Avengers ones that she's in. Mm-hmm. And I actually love Black Widow, and Black Widow has to deal with Deadpool. I'm a big Deadpool <laughs> fan. Yeah. So, like, I catch Black Widow in other things. I don't read her titles primarily. I loved her in the new Hot Shots that Gail Simone did in 2019. That was such a fun run. I love it because you see it through Domino's eyes, and Domino's like, Black Widow's like my hero. And it made me really appreciate Black Widow in like a whole new level. And I love the way, again, going back to Deadpool, how she just like, it's like, Deadpool, what the fuck is your fucking problem? And Deadpool's like, I love you. And she's like, that is not the question. No one asked you that. He's like, but I love you. And she's like, well, I'm going to cut your head off now. And then sew it back on and you'll be fine. It's like a delightful little side story that I think is good for Deadpool. Gives him a good little moment. Yeah, she's always so good in other people's books. She's one of the best guest stars, I think, of the Marvel Universe. Which is, like, funny because the cinematic universe does the same thing where she's just constantly guesting in other titles until the Black Widow movie that's coming out this year. Right, yeah. There's honestly a few Black Widow series that are written by women, and I think that they're all pretty good. The Soska sisters Mm. just got finished doing a run on Black Widow. It's really fun. She just had a guest appearance in Captain Marvel. (laughs) Mm. Where she had to watch Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange bicker with each other, and she is really funny and on point and exactly <laughs> what you want Black Widow to be. The first time I read a Black Widow story, it was a Daredevil story, and it was latter Daredevil, because she used to be his sidekick kind of for yeah. a little while before she became as awesome as we now know her to be. Right. But she shows up in a Daredevil comic, and she point blank shoots Daredevil in the chest and, <laughs> you know, apologizes later. <laughs> but she didn't care. She had a mission, and that was, I think, oh, God, Jean Cullen, I think, does the art on that one. It's so good. <laughs> I don't remember what the story was, but it was the first time I ever remember associating anything with Black Widow, and Black Widow immediately became one of my favorite characters because she shoots Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I think for Captain Marvel, I really like starting reading the Brian Reed run. That's where I usually, if I'm like starting back, of Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. So that's why she's still using the Miss moniker and has like the black suit that has no legs and the kind of lightning strike across her chest. Mm-hmm. Brood Saga, yes, first of all. You yes, have to read the Brood Saga because that's when saga. she becomes binary. Is Brood Saga, what's the title? It's under Uncanny X-Men. Ah, that's right. And of course, the like Captain Marvel run by Kelly Sudaconic is iconic, incredible, cannot be skipped, is required reading if you're reading comics. Like yeah. You, you have to read this run. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah did a, for what our Patreons at the $20 level or higher, this fantastic, delightful, full history of Captain Marvel with lots of reading notes and ideas about where to find hilarious parts of her history or like what parts to skip when it's like, you don't need to read this storyline. So make sure if you are really interested in that, come check out our Patreon. Kelly Thompson. It did the 2019... It's still running. Yeah, it started 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I love that run. Kelly Thompson is fucking killing it Mm -hmm. with Captain Marvel. And 
I don't even want to spoil it. You just yeah. have to read it. It's just it's on the last so Avengers story where she decides in the future that she has to kill all the Avengers. So it's that story so is amazing. She gets another great haircut. It's just like everything you want Carol to be, just like unbridled rage Carol. Like, yes. It's the continuation, I think, of the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. Sometimes creators bring a completely different direction to a book and it's awesome. But in this case, there is these ground rules that were set by Kelly Sudakonic and Kelly Thompson hasn't changed any of it and has just taken it to the next level is what I think. No, I totally agree with that. And I think that too, with the Thompson run of Deadpool, like, so Mm -hmm. I feel like she's like improv-y about it. She's like, Mm -hmm. yes, and I'll add my own things because I'm Kelly Thompson. That isn't what she sounds like because she's Probably not from not. the 20s. The other run I love of Captain Marvel is from, well, A-Force obviously is yeah. required reading as well. But I love during Secret Wars, the battle world where it's Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps. Mm-hmm. That is just like such a fun feminist story. And I just think it's totally required reading. That's Kelly Thompson and Kelly Sue That's Deconic right. Writing That's right. it. That was Kelly Thompson's first job at Marvel was writing on that book. Ugh, she did such a great job. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. Yeah. And like lots of like, you know, female pilots just like being awesome. It's so fun. What about Batgirl? Lots of good Batgirl stories. Intense kind of to narrow that one down because that character has been around for a while and has actually gotten a lot of focus. There's a lot of these female characters that haven't. And, you know, the creative teams have been so hit and miss that it's hard to recommend a solid one. Batgirl's comics are almost always written by people who are really stoked on Batgirl. So sometimes that's not true. Obviously, there's exceptions whenever she appears in Batman stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Batgirl's solo series are almost always really good and just worth picking up. Honestly, Gail Simone did a lot with that character in Birds of Prey as well as the Batgirl solo series. Chuck Dixon started the Birds of Prey And that guy sucks. (laughs) He's just not cool. He's, you know, pretty right-wing and notoriously so. And he ends up writing a lot of female characters that I think other people could do a better job of. So that's my personal take on Chuck Dixon. However, I will say that his early Birds of Prey stuff is still pretty good because it's Birds of Prey. How are you going to go wrong with that? Right, exactly. And he's the creator of it, you know, which is like, all right, fine. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yes. So, yeah, Scott. Beatty did some Batgirl stories. It's all good. And even whenever Cassandra Kane was Batgirl, that was a whole series that's all really good. But all the specials, I have loved a lot of Batgirl stories. I just don't think they, people really go wrong with that character. Even when she shows up in Justice League and she's Oracle, that story has her versus Prometheus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Prometheus, I think is his name. So they're versus each other. And she fights this guy who is basically Batman, you know, physically he's as good as Batman. She just like goes head to head with this guy. And that story is really good. She's just good. She's good in so many things. So that character is kind of easy. You'll find something you yeah. like with her. Yeah. Uh, the Batwoman run, since you said you were open to other heroes, gotta love the Marguerite Bennett run. That's true. So beautiful. Yeah, Batwoman and Batgirl are both pretty... There is actually a part of Batwoman where it's not good, but it's fairly brief, so... <laughs> I love it. So to your point too, Quinn, I think you're absolutely right. Like, finding creators you trust, finding creators who care, who are depicting female characters, non-binary characters in the way that you feel like is good, you can trust them. And what's fun too is when you start pulling on that and like, okay, I'm going to read 
for instance, Nalo Hopkinson's work because I really trust what Nalo Hopkinson's been doing. You can also go and read Hopkinson's other work, which mm-hmm. includes novels, which includes all these other awesome contributions to like our culture. And so I think that that's a great way to find things that maybe you wouldn't read. And also you can end up on like indie comics that you probably wouldn't have thought to read on your own. Like for me, Captain Marvel became a gateway to Kelly Sudaconic. And then I followed that to Bitch Planet and then Pretty Deadly. There's so many amazing things she's doing alongside her superhero comics. Or not alongside, but at the same time, I should say. Yes. You know, some of the other folks that I think are names that are important, obviously we've said Gail Simone, Kelly Sudaconic, Nalo Hopkinson, Kelly Thompson, Marguerite Bennett. Vita Ayala does some incredible work, is doing some James Bond's runs. Danny um, Lore, who Dan- also partners with Vita often. Yes. G. Willow Wilson. Those are all great names to, like, Anything you can pick up of theirs, I think you're going to find something just really wonderful to take away. Yeah, and you're in a better place to be able to find good stuff today than obviously whenever I first started. <laughs> yeah, but for sure. But one important thing to note is that sometimes you really are just going to encounter art that just makes you not feel good about the comic that you're reading. And it sucks. There's not really anything we can do about it, I guess. That's kind of just part of the nature of the beast whenever it comes to comics, unfortunately, because it's been a boys club for so long. Yeah. And the call out of it just gets so reduced and kind of dismissed by so many artists. And it just sucks. <laughs> and it's and it's honest to goodness, Quinn, your question is part of why we created this podcast. We want to be talking about, okay, you have to exist in this imperfect world full of like horrible content. How can we help people navigate it so you don't have to maybe have the same experience as we did, like where some a-hole hands me the killing joke. Yeah. And I'm like, great. Oh, I love Batman stories. And I opened the Joker. And then it's like, this is just one horrifying, unacceptable thing after another. I cannot handle mm-hmm. this. And we've talked before, Sarah, about how you're like, you shouldn't hand a 14-year-old girl Watchmen. You know, like, let's think about how we're doing this. Yeah. Like, think about the message that Watchmen gives about women before you hand that comic to really anybody. Absolutely. I also want to recommend that you try and check out some supers or cool comic characters who are outside of the big two. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't checked out Nizina or Vampirella, those have some really great runs. Red Sonia. Red Sonia is, oh my God, so fun. I love Valiant's Faith. Mm-hmm. Faith is a fat superhero. Yeah. She's awesome. She's like so positive and she gets to be like a big ass woman flying through the sky and people are just fawning over her because they should be. And mm-hmm. it is amazing. I also like, you know, Midnighter, Static, Tank Girl. You know what I love is Jenny Sparks from Authority. Yeah, what she's a hysterical great. character! So funny. Oh my god, so much fun. Oh, and then there's one like there's this web comic that also has now been collected into a graphic novel called Cosmo Nights that I've talked about a couple times. And I can never, I can never get enough people to read Cosmo Nights by Hannah yes. Templer. It is so much fun. And then I just want to remind folks like if you are not a patron, you can become one for as little as two dollars a month. If you become one at five dollars a month or higher, we actually send every month a curated list. Of of up to 10 comics that we've talked about and where to find them, what issues to read, how you might find it collected. Do you need to buy it? Can you find it on DC Universe? We want to make it where this is a conversation ongoing, so that's part of why we have that. So make sure you check it out. We're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. everybody this week's comic of the week is going to be love letters to jane's world which is by paige braddock ah this is such a great great day in the life comic you know it's just like such a cool exciting and important right like it was one of the very first maybe the first to feature a lesbian um although actually i think that maybe um dykes to watch out for dykes to watch out for was actually first yeah and you know there's like shorter ones and there's ones that you know had different formats obviously you know Mm -hmm. a lot of the creators through women's comics that went on to do their own comics were making lesbian content in independent books for a long time but this was one of the early syndicated strips i guess would be the easiest the right way to say it yeah exactly exactly one of the earliest syndicated strips so many words that are specific to comics. Yes, I love it. I had not read it before I read this trade paperback volume. It ran from 1998 to 2018. Like that's 20 years. That's wild. 1998, you said? Yeah. Yeah, that it reads like a late 90s or oh, it 2000s totally does. lesbian era. Yeah, it's an interesting book to read because it's definitely kind of a little stamp from the past, right? Like you have things that are certainly not necessarily super relevant right now. This is kind of a moment in time. I think that, you know, dyke culture has kind of moved around a lot since then. (laughs) But you also see a lot of the typical stuff that, you know, you even see today where, like, people are kind of arguing over politics in this kind of centrist way um, and kind of like, what role should I have in this? There's a huge generation of people in the queer community who kind of get out of the constant crisis of the 80s and they were like cool like it's more accepted now but it's still not and then (laughs) you know I want the democratic ideal and stuff like that I think that there was like a lot of that in the queer community of this time I'm a little bit later so I feel like I was always in a pretty radicalized community but I look at this and kind of say this is super radical for what they're doing because everything is this act of just a rebellion in and of itself being out and being proud of it and having an open discussion of being queer is just stuff that wasn't going on you know so that's something that I think is really interesting is I look at stuff like this and it's the same with sometimes Dykes to watch out for is there's not as much politics as I think we see in a lot of the life story web comics today but then I also think well this was when that was like literally so political was just to be like Dykes to watch out for you know that's such a polarizing title for the time but this is very similar thematically Absolutely. And you know what I was just thinking when you were talking about like the different politics of the time and whatnot is, 
you know, the Grease Bats comic that's much more contemporary and actually just had, I think, the first trade paperback volume come out in 2019 is sort of a much more diverse in terms of queerness, racially, gender identity, what queerness means to people, trans inclusion version of Jane's World. And I kind of think of Jane's World as like my uncle's generation of like lesbian (laughs) and bisexual day in the life comics. And then, you know, Grease Bats really feels like our or my, I don't even know where we fall generationally, Sarah, you know, the more radically and hyper-politicized, right, version of that, which is cool. I just think it's neat to see the different continuums of, of queer comics history. And so when I read this, I was doing exactly what you described, Sarah. I was like, wow, this is almost like a history book of like what things were like and what was important or most important to people at that time. But we're kind of setting it up like it's more political than it is. It's really just like the story about Jane Wyatt, who's like a young lesbian in Northern California, and she has a roommate, Ethan. And then it just follows her life and his life with their circle of friends who are like lovers and exes and are we friends or are we going to have sex in this river as we get swept away? (laughs) Like, it's really, really, really cute. And I didn't know this, but when it ended, right after its 20th anniversary, the publication ended with Jane marrying a significant character who was also a queer woman. And so it was pretty cool that they got to publish that. And what I was realizing is it's the first gay-themed comic to be distributed online by a national newspaper syndicate. That's what I was remembering the first of. And, you know, it's it's black and white. It's a lot of just like really cute hair. Like I like how the hair is really distinct in it. Like all the characters clearly care about like how they look, except for like Ethan. Ethan's kind of a mess, but that's what makes him fun. Yeah. And I love that it's just like who slept with who, who's gonna sleep with who, who's back with the person they were with before. It's just really, really cute. And I think it represented a lot of what I experienced in or have like some of the things that I've experienced in queer community again like I think it's dated in a in a perfect way it should be dated it is meant to capture the late 90s and going into the 2000s I'm shocked that it was running until 2018 (laughs) yeah that is kind of surprising I think that there was a time period where almost everything I watched was like look at lesbians dating all these other lesbians and playing the field or whatever. That's like a lot of L word. And I think that that's just something where they're kind of reflecting what their scene was or something. It looks super different now. So it's always very interesting to look and see how much change there's been just kind of in dyke subcultures. Just in this time period, you know, over the last 20 years or 30 years, we kind of went from having a bunch of things like Go Fish by Genevieve Turner or something like that, where it's these commentaries on this wider community. And I personally never really was in a big community of queer women, I think. Like, I think I've always been, uh, I don't know, my group has always been like a little bit different, I guess. So it's very interesting to be able to read this and to be like, oh, there used to be like whole, you know, networks, I guess, before we had, I mean, 1998 was like beginning of the internet time and like all of that kind of stuff. But it's pretender, right? So we had a lot of different changes. Absolutely. I, I think that's such a great way of putting it. And it's almost like a, like a time capsule of what, this period of time was like for these people. I mean, I think that they're predominantly white. I don't know if they're all white. I can't remember. Um, No, th- she has her roommate. Oh, yeah. Okay. Who's a really cool character and just really doesn't get that much screen time <laughs> in this. But 
seemed really interesting. So I'd like to see more of her if this was a comic that was happening today. Totally. What I think is important about it is that we have this long history of LGBTQ created comics. Like you were talking about lots of ones that have not been preserved or only exist in an archive or what have you. This happened to be the most commercially successful one. And so we do have a trade paperback volume that collects, if not all of them, damn near all of them. And I think that it's really cool to think about where, you know, Paige Braddock was coming from and and what she was trying to do through this comic. You know, and we can talk, you and I always talk about like respectability politics, but I think to some degree, the point of this was to just be like, hey, queer people, queer women are just like you or just like what we expect from people in sitcoms, right? It has like a very queer friends feel to it to me. Ellen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ellen, the show exactly. Ellen. Exactly. I was I was just reading an article about that that was really good. But yeah, I think it's so important for being what it is. And I think you're right to say like lots of things have changed and grown in our communities and in our comics and in our representations since that time. And that's it's important to know where we come from so we can reference it in ways that other people may not get, but people who are big fans of Jane's World will understand. And so as as queer creators, we can be part of a continuum of a conversation. And I think it's just like really funny. Like I, I found it super duper funny. And and like you said, I never was in a community that was like 100% lesbian or 100% queer women. I've always been in gender diverse queer community. But like it was fun to be like, okay, cool. Like tell me about this life. I do have to say, didn't love Ethan. Didn't really get what he brought to the comic. But what what do you think? Oh, he was funny sometimes. Um, like whenever she was all are you even listening to me? And he's like, yes, for an eternity. <laughs> that okay. was yes, really that funny. Was funny. That's what he does. Some he provides good insight from- into like what Jane is like that sure. um, we don't get from, from Jane's POV. So that's a good point. Yeah, Jane is 100% Jane and in Jane's world, <laughs> as, as it says. And so, yeah, the fact that they have this character who's kind of just a grumpy straight dude, I guess, <laughs> and is kind of like, look you're making everything way more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, I think that that might have been a straight dude role for lesbians for a time. I don't know <laughs> if that's I don't know if that's different or now, you know, like once again, I don't I only know a handful of straight men, but, <laughs> but I think that yeah, that was kind of like the dynamic I saw a lot play out in a lot of this era. So, yeah, you have it's kind of their job to be like less sensitive, I guess, you know, like women, a lot of the lesbians at this time are portrayed as hyper caring about everything that happens as far as their romantic interests and everything like that. So they kind of needed a complacent straight dude to be like, you're really overthinking this. (laughs) But, but yeah, is he likable? No. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) is he necessary really to the plot? Uh, I mean, you know, like we go back and forth on that one, I think with a lot of these dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's kind of like, I mean, is he just kind of there to be there so that like some straight men will have something to read this comic about, you know? (laughs) And it's just like, I mean, those are probably all true. I don't really know. But yeah, Ethan is certainly the uh, least interesting character, I'd say, of the book. I enjoyed a lot of the characters. I liked Skye a lot, even though like she's the, (laughs) this is one thing where it's like, 
now you wouldn't get away with like a lot of these jokes because they just mock her for being vegan and working at the health food store <laughs> all of the time. And it's all oh my God, these, relentlessly. Yeah, late 90s early 2000s like what if I eat bacon in front of you like it does that make me the devil or like you know all of those things as somebody who's been a vegan for quite a while um those <laughs> that's just ridiculous and whenever people do stuff like that you're just like maybe you're you're overthinking maybe you should sit down <laughs> like you don't have to bother me about my diet I didn't bring it up I just work at the store you know like blah 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 but, you know, there's no response from her. She's basically just, like, the sad put-upon vegan. <laughs> so I thought that, like, a lot of that was pretty uh, – it was a line for me where I was, like, I'm very annoyed by all the other characters. I'm low-key annoyed by Sky not coming back on them and being, like, you have a very limited understanding, I guess, of, like, why I do the things that I do. But the fact that nobody understands her is really important in the book because she is – ditched by Jane for her ex and like you know goes on to be with somebody who's kind of a lot more kind I guess and a lot more interested in the things that she does and so the fact that Jane doesn't understand that character is kind of one of the plot points I guess in a weird way so I don't know I thought that that was interesting I liked a lot of the characters though I thought that it was like pretty fun it totally reminds me of not depressing L word, basically, because yes, it's all like the hijinks. Yes, that's what I was thinking. It's all the hookups and all the hijinks. There's not like very much graphic sex, I guess, like you see in the opening of every episode of the L word, because got to make sure people are watching it. Yeah, I don't know. That was kind of how I viewed it a little bit. Overall, it's like a fun comic, right? Like, yeah, I, mean, I think it's super fun. And you know who we have to talk about is Shell. Because Shell is like such a hysterical character, especially because she looks like Trinity from The Matrix. Oh my God, yeah. she's <laughs> And she is hot from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, and she's so hot. And everybody's just like, oh my God, Shell. And like she and Jane date, but then they're like friends afterwards, which is like cool. I like to see that representation. And then one of her love interests is Dory, who is one of the two people of color, I believe in it. And, and she's black and a lesbian um, and has a crush on Shell, which is like super duper cute. I like the way that Dory's like love for Shell manifests because I think that Jane finds it very flabbergasting. And I actually related to that about Jane of like, you know, Shell's slaying ladies left and right. And then Jill, who is Shell's on and off again girlfriend and Jane's nemesis. I'm using scare quotes like I don't understand why other than like Jill is always like smashing and Jane's mm -hmm. kind of like, I'm awkward. Why am I not always smashing? And I'm like, I relate to that in a very deep way. <laughs> yeah, except for the fact that, like, it totally makes sense that Jane is not getting laid. Because you're just like, actually, I was a little surprised, like, that Jane did get laid as much as she did, I guess. <laughs> because I was like, of course, you're totally a nerd. And also you're like way too intense and also you get a babe like sky and all you can do is make jokes about how she drinks almond milk or whatever like yes well it, it, there is a little bit of that unlikable bachelor thing going totally. with jane and so like that part gets exhausting but feeling sorry for yourself part i'm like i relate to that <laughs> sure yeah i mean and it's from jane's perspective a queer person who is trying to date queer women you have somebody who feels as you say like that they're just not getting it and like all of these other women are like super good at it you know and like great at dating and they're just so bad at it that has literally become something that I think every lesbian on Twitter is constantly saying these days you see like people being like you know 
people make fun of lesbians for not being able to like shoot their shot and stuff like that and how lesbians are so prone I guess to be like but she'll never go for me I'm just a loser and all this and like here's this other queer woman who's so good at being a queer woman (laughs) and like all of that you know I think that that's actually almost a pathos at this point (laughs) so shout out to Jane for uh for seeing that (laughs) seeing it coming down the road and being like (laughs) mine first And it's totally like the Ellen thing too, right? Where like you watch Ellen and you're just like, I mean, what about the puppy episode? You watch that episode and you're just like, I do not understand why Susan, as played by Laura Dern, is giving Ellen the time of day right now. But also Ellen is so wrapped up in her own stuff that she completely lets it slip away, which is just baffling when you think about it. (laughs) So, So anyway, yeah, I think that Jane reminds me of that kind of vibe, I guess, that kind of mid-90s Ellen vibe where, you know, she's hooking up, she's dating, but she's also very concerned about other people being better at things than her, so. (laughs) She's hooking up, she's dating. I love that so much. That's hysterical. (laughs) So you can catch the trade paperback volume, which I believe collects all of the strips it you can probably like get it. it from your local library or you can pick it up online. It's a big and old book. It's, yeah, it's not small. So check it out. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, I'm going to be mad. Just kidding. <laughs> enjoy the book. We love you. Yeah. Sarah, do you feel like there are a lot of queer podcasts out there? There's only a few. And do you think there's like a lot of queer comics podcasts out there? Mm. Okay, exactly. So what we do is cool, fun, unique, spicy, and we're very real. We tell you what we see. We tell you what's good, what's what's not good, where where you can read more, what you can skip, and what you need to know if you want to be cool. Just kidding. You're already cool. And if you're cool, find us on Patreon because we could use that sweet, sweet cash money to keep making more podcasts. We're at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. 
the Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.